the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Well, for a couple of weeks, Bert Harper and I have been going through the Old Testament Minor Prophets, and yesterday we went through Zephaniah, and we're coming up on a book you probably don't hear preached about a lot, a prophet maybe that we need to read again more often than we do, Haggai. But first, we've got a couple of guests. There's a brand new show coming out on the American Family Radio Network, and it's going to be called Hannah's Heart. I'm excited about that. But, Bert, it's good to be with you. And, uh, hey, I was thinking about this. Haven't we, in the last several weeks, haven't we had some great callers doing the during the Q&A portion of the show? We have, and yesterday was no exception. Yesterday we had some just great questions and we get to talk with them and engage with them, and we appreciate that so much. So at the end of this program, we're going to receive those calls again, and you get ready and to make that call. We're, we'll be ready to receive it. But until the end, we want to study Haggai, but we also want to interview Hannah's Hearts co-host. They are yes. Kendra White and Ann Cockra. <laughs> now, it's hard for me to say Ann Cockra. <laughs> yeah, uh, sure. I've known this uh, lady, Ann Cockra, just about most of her life. She, I was her pastor for years. But they have started this new program, and it's already airing Hannah's Heart. And uh, which one of you ladies want to go first? Okay, Ann, tell us about Hannah's Heart. Okay. Uh, so it has to deal with couples struggling with infertility, miscarriage, child loss, um, anything in that direction. And we have covered so many topics already. Not all of the podcasts have been released yet or radio shows have been released yet. But um, we'll be talking about everything from in vitro fertilization to adoption to you know how to handle holidays when you don't have that baby oh, at Christmas wow. that you've <laughs> desired. And so... Um, it's, it's been fun and interesting so far, and we've already had uh, so many wonderful feedbacks and emails and people, um, emailing questions and all kinds of stuff that you might not think about if you haven't struggled with infertility yourself, um, that we're getting, you know, questions about. Alex, uh, Hannah's Heart comes on at five o'clock central time each Saturday, five o'clock PM, uh, central time each Saturday. And you just heard from Ann. Kendra, why Hannah's heart? Well, Hannah is one of the women in the Bible who struggled with infertility. Um, and we know her story. Um, she ended up having a child, having Samuel. But before before the Lord um, blessed her with a um, uh, little prophet, <laughs> she, <laughs> she was at the temple and was just pouring her heart out to the Lord and was crying and was um, just weeping and her, her lips were moving, but um, no sound was coming out. And so... Um, you know, the priest who saw her said, you're drunk, <laughs> you know, and accused her of being drunk. She said, no, 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 I'm not drunk. And so what, uh, what we loved about the story, um, was not that, um, everybody's story ends the same. You know, one of the right. things we want to be careful with this is that we're not saying that every Christian who comes to the Lord and prays will get a biological child, but we do know that every Christian that struggles with infertility Bringing your pain to God is the only place to go. And right. surrendering mm-hmm. your your future family to the Lord is where it starts. Because Hannah um, surrendered. She said, Lord, if, if you bless me a son, he's going to be your child. 
And, you know, one of the things that I think couples that are struggling with this deal with of, you know, it's like, Lord, even if you do bless me with a child, what if something happens to them? We work so hard to get this child, you know, and, and recognizing that children are a gift from God, but they're ultimately his mm-hmm. helps give parents just that that godly perspective. Right. You know, I was listening, and this is just so wonderful, you all. Uh, traveling, I meet so many people across the country, and infertility is very common, very painful. But I'm, I'm listening to you all, and even if this is not the particular challenge one person is going through, um, a part of the message is that challenge and pain and waiting, really, if we let it, these are opportunities to grow down more deeply in our relationship with the Lord, isn't it? Absolutely. And dealing with surrendering your dreams over to God. Um, you know, scripture says that if you delight yourself in the Lord, then he'll give you the desires of your heart. And we talk about that scripture on our show, that that does not mean that God gives you everything that you want, but it means that if you come to him and you put your full trust and delight in him, then he places his desires in your heart and he can help redirect your dreams. And you won't have to to fake it. You won't have to pretend um, the Lord will place love in your heart for whatever option he gives you of of how that nurturing side of you that you're like, if I don't nurture somebody, I'm going to bust. God made me this way. How do I do this? Um, he's going to create that outlet for you. Mm. And you talking wow. about it being, um, you know, a prominent thing to deal with. It's one in eight couples that struggle with infertility and then one in four pregnancies that end in miscarriage and so yeah we're talking you know you walk around at the store and you're passing eight people you know statistics say that one in eight of those people you know Mm. could have the same um struggle well alex i'm sure you've dealt with this with some of the people that you've counseled and have come to you but the the question of well god why does this happen to christians who love you you know it's the age-old question of why do bad things happen to you know, quote unquote, good people. Of course, mm-hmm. we know we're not, none of us are good, but we, we deal with that topic on our show. There, there's a lot of specific things relating to infertility that Christian couples are facing. Um, so exactly. one of them is the problem of evil in our world when it comes to miscarriage. You know, it's so devastating to process that when you see other people not doing things God's way, um, getting, you know, stuff in the, in the wrong order, or even um, young people, young women that are turning to abortion, how grievous it is as a mm. Christian to deal with that when you desperately would take any oh, baby that the Lord would, would bring into Amen. your life. Amen. So, you know, turning to the scriptures to, to know that, um, you know, the, the Lord is in control and how do we, um, fully delight in him in those circumstances? Um, another issue I know, uh, Ann mentioned IVF, um, getting into some of the pro-life issues of some of these fertility treatments that are there. Um, if, if Christians aren't careful, we can allow this desire that we've had as a child to blind us from making life-affirming decisions. And not every um, medical decision that is legal um, is life-affirming. And and I've struggled with that with, with my husband. You know, a lot of clinics, they do not believe that life begins at conception um, mm. And so you have to ask a lot of hard questions and um, and sometimes you have to choose options that might not be the most affordable, might not be the most convenient to be consistent with your beliefs. And we want to help couples process all of that because you, you don't have to have a, a medical degree. <laughs> you know, sometimes you feel like you have to have a medical degree <laughs> yeah. to understand all that. Well, the language can be confusing, but going back to the Bible, 
There's a man in the Bible who had a desire, a deep desire. It wasn't children, but God gave him children, but he was to build a temple. Mm. He wanted to build a temple more than anything else. King David, uh, that was the desire of his heart. And uh, so, but God said no. Mm. He said no. And you know what he did? So he got together and he drew, uh, he got the plans drew up, uh, drawn up. He got all the merchandise that was needed. He got everything ready so that when the next king came along, that he could go right in, not delay, and have the temple built. Of course, that's Mm -hmm. King Solomon, his son. But sometimes God says no. Mm -hmm. And when God says no, that is an answer. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Anne. I was just saying it is, and sometimes that's really, really hard to take. We were actually told, Will, my husband and I, were told in February that um, we had basically tried everything that there is to try to have a biological baby and so, yeah, we had to take that home and to process that and to be okay with that and surrender, you know, like, okay, God, you know, but we felt like we had pursued everything that we felt comfortable with pursuing and convicted to pursue for a biological baby. And um, not that I'm saying everyone's story will end in this way, but then, yeah, in May we found out we're pregnant. And so um, mm. it's still kind of crazy to accept. <laughs> He's a miracle working God. <laughs> literally, right. Because, I mean, like, yeah, when we did fully surrender, Will and I together, that desire, we had no idea that in a few months the Lord's answer would be yes. You know, Man's no is not God's no. <laughs> That's right. You That's know? right. Yeah. And, but God's no is, is always so for a reason. Alex, I, when God says no, we can trust him, can't we? Oh, we can. Oh, my goodness. And you know what? I, I so want people to listen to this show, Hannah's Heart, and uh, because so many things of what you're touching on are biblical worldview, mm-hmm. uh, issues of life, issues like you say, the problem of pain and suffering, learning how to wait on God, and then learning, as as we all will learn if we give God a chance, God's outcome is a blessing and is better than our highest mm-hmm. dreams. Honestly, if and now it takes trust, and we've got to patiently wait on God. But very often, when we have pain and heartbreak today, it's going to be blessing tomorrow, better than we had ever even dreamed of. Like you said, if we delight ourselves in the Lord. So I'm just thrilled that you all are doing this. This is biblical worldview that's going to touch so many lives. Again, tell people when the shows will air, when they can hear it, because I urge exploring the word listeners, please uh, take to your email accounts and social media and let people know about this. And so tell us again, when, when will this air? Yes, so we are on Saturdays at 5 o'clock Central Time, and you can find us on the podcast page on AFR and connect to us with all of our various social media accounts. But um, look for us on Saturdays on AFR at 5 Central. And that is? We will. We will. And that's Kendra and Ann. And we thank you for being with us today. Appreciate you for having us. You guys. Or gals, your <laughs> blessing. So we Bert, thank you so much. I, I know we've got, Bert, we've got a minute before the break. Yeah. Can we pray for the launch mm-hmm. of this show? Go ahead, Alex. Let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this ministry, uh, the use of gifts and opportunity to minister. So, Father God, place your hand of blessing upon this. May the Holy Spirit anoint this show. May it minister to so many people, many of whom are hurting 
deeply. So God, we give you the glory and we just thank you for what you're going to do to bring people closer to you through this wonderful brand new broadcast. And we we lift it up to you in Jesus name. Amen. That's Hannah's heart, five o'clock p.m. Central Time on Saturdays and go on AFR podcast and you can view it. Thank you, ladies. Thank, Thank you. you. Amen. Alex, we've got about a minute to say something about this prophet. It's the second shortest book in the Old Testament, and uh, and Haggai is a prophet, and he does have results, and that results comes from them not building the temple, and yeah. after he started preaching, and Zechariah, his, I'd say, partner preached, they got the job done, didn't they? They did, you know, it's so apropos. You, in the second year of Darius the king, the Lord says, The time has not come that the Lord's house should be built, not just yet. We, and here we were just talking about learning how to wait on God. And that's a little bit of Haggai's message, isn't it? It is. You wait upon him, and, and he puts, uh, I'd say, priority of, of the book of Haggai is your priorities. God says you're living in paneled houses, which means luxurious homes. You've taken care of your home, but the the issue of the temple, the God's temple, is going unmet. And so you need to evaluate your priorities. So when you read Haggai, or Haggai, you can say it either way, Haggai, you can yeah. ask the question, are my priorities in straight? What would God have me line up to do to make sure I'm doing it. So when we come back and we look at this great, great book, I think it would be time for us to examine our own lives to make sure that our priorities are in order as best we can as we follow him. This is Bertie and Alex, and this is Exploring the Word on the American Family Radio Network, and we'll be back with more right after the break. This is Pause to Pray. A chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Ike White, Acting Assistant Secretary for the Office of Environmental Management. He leads the safe cleanup from nuclear weapons development and nuclear energy research. Psalm 115 verse 16 reminds us that the earth shall be cared for as it is a gift from God. The heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but the earth he has given to the sons of men. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Ike White as he works to clean and restore our lands and environment. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. According to Dr. Tony Evans, people who say, I'll believe it when I see it, may need to take the quality of their vision into account. He'll explain why as we spend two minutes with Tony. The man was driving and he was complaining about how dirty his windshield was. He pulled over to a full-service gas station and asked the gentleman to clean his windshield. The gentleman cleaned his windshield But the man kept complaining. That's when his wife leaned over and cleaned his glasses. And all of a sudden, the windshield became crystal clear. But for far too many of us, we do not see clearly. 
because we do not understand that it is our shaded view that's keeping us from experiencing what God offers. God wants you and me to have kingdom authority. Kingdom authority is the divinely authorized right and responsibility that's been delegated to believers to act on God's behalf in spiritually ruling over his creation underneath the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Christians who are not walking in authority are not seeing clearly. Christians who are walking in defeat are not seeing clearly. But Paul says, I pray that your eyes might be opened so that we see things clearly and therefore enter prayer with spiritual authority. Learn other principles that can strengthen your connection with Christ. Check out Tony's CD series, Igniting Kingdom Prayer, available online at TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Jesus is alive. Amen. I hope you know Jesus is enough. He is sufficient. He told Paul, my grace is sufficient. It's, for, it's sufficient for salvation and for life. We're in the book of Haggai, and uh, there's a repeated word that's it's used three or four times, and uh, it is the word consider. And uh, in verse 5, it says, consider your ways. And again, in verse 7, he says, consider your ways. And over again, he, he will use that word consider for you to look at and to ponder and look at. So that's, that's what he wanted them to do. In verse 18, he said, consider now from this day forward. So God wants us to consider our ways. Look what we're doing. Is it pleasing to the Lord or is it selfish? And so today, as we look at this great prophet and his message, um, Alex, uh, it is time for us to consider our ways as an individual, as a church, as a family, as a nation. Uh, the Bible talks about when you come to the Lord's table, the Lord's Supper, it says examine yourself. Another way would be to say consider your ways. Where are you going? Where are you headed? What are you doing? So it, uh, Haggai was pretty powerful on that one phrase, wasn't he? Well, he was. You know, the Bible says if we judge ourselves, we should not be judged. And uh, it's always good to keep an inventory and always be looking at the state of your heart. And I, I love how the New Testament, you know, it says, let a man examine himself before he comes to the Lord's table. And the Bible also says, examine yourselves and see if ye be in the faith. And this is not to create paranoia or second-guess ourselves, but just to be every day and bird i got to tell you i feel like i do it 20 times a day is my heart all right am i walking with the lord am i hearing the holy spirit um are my ways pleasing in his sight because that's something we're supposed to do verse 5 of haggai 1 consider your ways bert that that actually might be about the most profound thing that the Word of God could ever say to us, Thus says the Lord, 
consider your ways. I agree, Alex, and and that's that's what we're to do, and don't feel exempt. That's why so much of these Old Testament books, even they're talking about a specific issue of that day, but it also has futuristic realms, and it does here in this book as well. But what it says is still relevant today to consider our ways. Let's do mm. this with Haggai. We need to look at some of his contemporaries. I already said Zechariah and he. Matter of fact, Haggai preaches these sermons, and we don't know exactly his age, but they were over several years, and Zechariah would preach some of his sermons, and we're going to study that next week, Zechariah, as we finish up these prophets. But he would preach preach but his two contemporary leaders one of them was a man called Zerubbabel and Zerubbabel is one of the most important men that is lesser known in the Bible I would say uh, a lot of people say now who is Zerubbabel well he was the leader that brought the first group of, of Hebrews back to the land from Babylon and uh, he was a great great leader and uh, Ezra was a was a great leader as he would come, and he was the scribe that would help them. So these are all people kind of grouped together. Uh, in, in some ways, it's kind of unusual to have this many great men grouped together in a small period of time, Alex. Oh, my goodness, yes. Uh, it really is a lot of great men. It reminds me a little bit of our nation's founding all the great people there at once, from the brilliance of Jefferson and Franklin to the godliness and leadership of George Washington. But periodically, God will put all those kind of good people together at once. You know, I think about us, Bert, you know, just think, you and I lived in a time of Billy Graham, Adrian Rogers, Charles Stanley, Carl Henry, C.S. Lewis. We lived in Chuck Colson, James Dobson, uh, you know, Don Wildman. You and I came up in a time of some incredible, godly, great men, too, didn't we? We did, and, and that is awesome. God, they're gifts from God, and you need to, uh, we need to understand that. And but, These were men that God had raised up for such a time as this, just like it was said of Esther that she was there. These men have been raised up. Uh, they had gotten to the uh, city, and they had started the temple, but they, in four years, they got discouraged and they left. And let me make sure you read this. Uh, verse 4, you read it, but it says, Is it time for you, you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? The answer was, that was a rhetorical question. It was not time. It was, they should have already gotten the job done, but they had lagged behind because of it being difficult. Pol hey, let me just say with it, political issues. Because some of the enemies didn't like them doing that. They felt it was more difficult. They had been in Babylon where they had learned to live, I won't say in luxury, but they had learned to live a soft life. And the yeah. people who came back to Jerusalem and to that area, it was difficult. It had, in the last the 70 years, it had grown harsh again. It had had difficulty again. And, and Alex, they, it was, I think it was a wake-up call when they got there, and it wasn't quite as nice as it was when they left. Let me read a verse here in verse, um, well, you know, in, in 7, like 5, it says, Consider your ways. Verse 8, Go up to the mountain, bring wood, build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, says the Lord. Okay, attend to the things of the church. Let me say now, God is saying to all Christians, 
um, well, walk with the Lord, do, do all the things the disciple is supposed to do. But look, they were to attend to the matters of the temple. And now people, I, I hear a lot of statistics about COVID and attendance levels not being what they were, but we need to attend to the matters of the church. Now, let me read verse 9, Burton. I want your comment. Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, and you run every man unto his own house. Verse 9 might sound a little abstract, but let me tell you what it's like. It's like uh, trying to be a Christian and not tithing. Let me say this. I assure you the 90% with the Lord's blessing is way better than to retain 100% without God's blessing. God says, look, you, you went out and you worked hard in the field. You brought something home, but I blew on it like a, and that means like judgment, not blowing the breath of blessing on it, but um, the milk got spilled or the transmission in the car went out. Um, Bert, do you see that, that God's not really going to give blessing and increase when there is a, an area of disobedience that remains in their life. That's exactly right. When it is prominent, listen, this is, this is one of the purposes that they return for. Uh, this was a purpose, if not the main purpose, that this was their return, and they were not doing it. Verses 10 and 11 explain a, a little bit about that blowing on it, about them not getting the rewards, it says, Therefore the heavens above you withheld the dew, the earth withholds its fruit. For I call for a drought on the land, on the mountains, and the grain, and the new wine, and the oil, and whatever the ground brings forth on men and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. It, in other words, it wasn't producing like it had. They produced the first four years, but now when they began to slack off of what their purpose was, what God had commanded them to do, those things began to, quote, dry up. And so here is Haggai telling them that they did not need to do that. They need to proceed. Uh, and notice what it says in verse 12. After uh, Haggai delivered these messages, the last phrase in verse 12, the people feared the presence of the Lord. In other words, God was saying, listen, yes, God is good, but God is holy, and God does have expectations. I think God is saying, regardless of what your expectations might be, regardless of what your neighbor's expectations might be, the expectations of God comes first, and you are blowing it. You're not doing it. God expects you to do the work that he's called you to do. That was then. Now, we're saved by grace, but God's if, if God was only wanting us to be saved and go to heaven, guess when? We would have died right after salvation, but he's left us here for a purpose, and he's saved us to glorify him, and we're to glorify him with our lives. We don't need to blow it, do we, Alex? No, we don't. We don't. And uh, I like verse 13, and I, I want to transition into chapter 2. Then, <clears throat> excuse me, I swallowed wrong. Then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, in the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, the governor of Judah, the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord's host, their God. Notice in the leaders, in the, the other, you know, the, the highest leaders, the other people, 
and in everyone, the Lord stirred up their heart. Bert, do we need some stirred up hearts nowadays <laughs> when we pray for revival? Aren't we praying for the Spirit of God once again to stir up in the hearts of people? Amen. Have you ever heard that? I don't know what preacher was the first one. You can't revive that which has not been vived in the first place. or <laughs> you know, That's a good one. Yeah, and, and so he's stirring them up. They did have something. They did. They had that which is original. They, they had obeyed the Lord, and they had come back. They had started the work, but they grow cold. Uh, I think you could— you relate that to the book in Revelation. They'd left the first love, and they started putting it on themselves rather than God. I agree with you fully, Alex. And he starts with a Zerubbabel. He stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. See, this is a prophet, Haggai, that stirred the hearts of the leader, him and the priest, Joshua. And so when they were stirred, the work began to get done, and the people were stirred and it went all the way through until they started and got the work done. And so that and, was so beautiful. Yes, go ahead. Well, in chapter 2, um, Zerubbabel uh, and Josedek, uh, they say to the people, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? <laughs> is it not in your eyes a comparison as of nothing? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and be strong, all the people of the land, saith the Lord, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. Uh, I think it's interesting that there was a respect for the elders that had seen the temple in its previous glory. And, you know, one thing, Bert, I don't mean to always take it back to America, but I'm if I'm awake, I'm praying for America almost, Bert. And I, 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 I love to meet these people that tell me about the, the all-night prayer meetings during World War II because they knew it was, it was the future and the survival that was up for grabs. I love to hear people that tell me uh, when Billy Graham came to their city in the 1950s and thousands of people came to Jesus and bars closed. and um, Because, Bert, there's a lot of people that have never seen America at her best. There's a lot of young people that have never known an America where uh, we honored the flag and we thanked the veterans and we, we came to church and we prayed. And when I read this in verse 3 of Haggai chapter 2, uh, I want to I want to interview those who saw the temple in its original glory. They were saying, "Hey, help me out here. We're going to rebuild it, but some of you who saw it back in the day, what was it like?" Yeah, Bert, Alex, uh, Amen, brother. But guess you read what? Me? Yeah, I do. But guess what's going to happen? He says, "Rubble, but be strong. Joshua, be strong." Verse four. Uh, my verse five, my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. I'm doing it. He said, I will shake all the nations in verse seven and uh, come the desire of the nations. That's, that's messianic. Uh, you know what I mean? We'll get to oh, that, yeah. but listen to verse nine, the glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former. He said, Amen. yes, you Amen. remember, but I got good news for you. It's going to be better. Why? It, I, I still think this is messianic. It, yes, Solomon's temple was awesome, but what made Solomon's temple the best is because it was during Jesus' time and he would enter there. There's a futuristic look in here, not only of getting that temple built, but ultimately God's 
coming to earth and setting it up. And he says, I will shake all the nations, Alex, I, uh, and they shall become the desire of all nations. Uh, Jesus Christ, he is the Messiah. And honestly, that's what the temple was about, the very presence of God in among them. Now, what was one of the names for Jesus? Emmanuel, which is what? Mm. God, God with us. God with us. Do you, I, yeah. I, I still, I believe Haggai is reaching down and saying, hey, the future, yes, it's rough right now. The job you got to do is rough right now, but I just want to tell you, it's going to be worth it. Not just Amen. now, but then. You know, it's going to be worth it one day, isn't it, Alex? Well, it is, and if I can paraphrase the Apostle Paul, it's because when you become a believer, we, uh, we enter a temple not made with human hands. You know, we're part of the body of Christ, and that's why, you know, this is a, a line that's in a Christmas song, uh, the, the hope and desire of all the nations has come, and that's a line right out of Haggai here, this Savior, Jesus. And, you know, Bert, when we come to Jesus, we are, as the Bible says, in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. As great as it would have been to have seen Solomon's temple, as great as it might have been to have seen King David and the Ark of the Lord, uh, and we will see David and Solomon in heaven, but a greater thing still is to be a subject of the king, we'll enter that new Jerusalem, but we'll be in the greatest temple of all, we're in the body of Christ. Amen. I want to get to the last verse. We've got about 40 seconds. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, I'll take you Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shetel, says the Lord, and will make you as a signet ring, for I've chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. Alex, we talk about people being shadows of Christ or examples of Christ. Zerubbabel seems to be that man. In matter of fact, Zerubbabel is in the the genealogy of both Joseph and Mary. And Mar Isn't that exactly. amazing? God knew what it's he was amazing. doing, and he knew who he was using. Hey, that phone number, 888-589-8840. Give us a call. American Family Studios was started back in 2011 as a way to advance the Christian worldview into an increasingly media-rich culture. Media is like such a powerful tool to communicate the gospel. I love writing stories, getting in my office, and just thinking, how can we portray this concept of who God's character is? And to get to use the gifts that God has given me is really a joy. AmericanFamilyStudios.net This is Jan Mark Hill, and next on Understanding the Times Radio, I talk to Pastor Billy Crone about the plans of the global elite for your future, or will the Lord take the church home before a one-world system is formed? What does the Bible have to say? What do we do in the meantime? That's next on Understanding the Times Radio. Saturday afternoon at 1 Central and Sunday afternoon at noon Central on American Family Radio. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Merriam-Webster's Dictionary defines socialism as an economic system in which the means of production are owned and controlled by the state. The distribution of goods are controlled by the state. It is a system where there is no private property. A stage of society, in Marxist theory, transitional between capitalism and communism. 
American socialists put the descriptor democratic in front of socialism because they hope to persuade you to vote for the elimination of private property. Make no mistake, socialism is socialism. There is no kinder, gentler form of it. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Dr. Stephen Rummage with today's Moving Forward Minute. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5 says, Love is not irritable or resentful. A man confessed that when he was irritated or angry, he would just explode on his family. When I feel the pressure building, he said, I just explode. Then I'm over it, and we move on. Then he said this, at least that's what I used to do. Then I realized that when a nuclear bomb explodes and it's all over, it leaves a whole lot of damage behind. The same thing happens when we explode on a regular basis with the people that we love. Our angry outbursts may relieve the pressure we feel, but it leaves damage in the hearts of our spouses and children and even our parents. Love protects other people. It doesn't leave damage in its wake. Love is not irritable. For more resources, visit movingforwardradio.org. Join me every Sunday morning at 8.30 Central for Moving Forward right here on AFR. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow weak or discouraged before he has established justice on the earth. In his law, the islands will put their hope. Isaiah 42, 3 and 4. American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. Father, I'm in a desperate place. Father, I know you can bear the way. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. We're taking your phone calls, and we've got lines that are open. So if you're looking to ask a question today, it would be a great day for you to call. That number, 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. Alex, while we're waiting, and we got somebody online, but we won't take but a second. Uh, we The questions that come... Uh, we took a hundred of those questions and we wrote a book answering those questions. And, and it's, it's been great. It's been exciting to hear what people are saying about enjoying it. Uh, have you, are you getting that word as well? Oh my goodness. And I'm so grateful. We give God the glory. The book is called 100 Bible Questions and Answers published by Broad Street Publishing, Alex and Bert. And I want to thank all of you listeners because you helped write this book. It was your good questions. And believe it or not, Bert, 100 sounds like a lot of questions. We could have done 500, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe somebody, maybe in a future book we will, perhaps. Hey, let's let's see. Let's not take that off the table, see what God does. Hey, we've got people ready. They're calling in. So we're going to go to the first caller for today, and he's from your state of North Carolina, and it's Cowboy. Now, I just got to ask, is that your name or is that your uh, slang name, cowboy? That's my slang name. Okay, good. I, that's not a bad uh, – I, I grew up the in the years of Roy Rogers and Gene Autry and all of that, and, boy, the cowboys were the thing of my dream. So you got a question for and us? We, to, we got yeah. some cowboys up in North Carolina. Oh, I, I thought that was too far east, but I found out it's not then. Hey, Cowboy, what's your question for us today, brother? Okay, it's simple. 
Can y'all read those? You know, when y'all be giving out the meaning and scripture, scripture when you're talking about it, you give out the scripture meaning. Go ahead. Like when you say the, the verses. Can y'all speak it in yeah. the language that the Bible is written besides the English words? Okay. What well, do you we refer? try sometimes, yeah, don't yeah, we? Yeah, we do. Uh, now, listen, that would be hard to do to speak all those Hebrew words and those Greek words. For me now, Alex, uh, I took uh, Greek. I did not take Hebrew. And uh, so, but the Greek language is kind of like an unspoken. It was a written language. And so sometimes yes. that's difficult to do. But translations have, they, do they lose? Alex, let me ask you this. This might be helpful for us all, cowboy. It helps me. Uh, Alex, do you think you lose the meaning of the name if it's translated in another name in another language no you don't lose the meaning um you know like uh theos ton cosmos hoste ton huion ton monage that's for god so loved the world in greek um and it it sounds different but you know the beautiful thing about the word of god um, even though there are many different languages, because, you know, back at the Tower of Babel, the, in, back in Genesis, the languages were separated and confused. But you know what? When the English says, God sent his son Jesus, and the Greek says, John sent his son Jesus, and it could be in Hindi or Bimba or uh, Chechuan or Cantonese or any of these languages, uh, it still means that God sent his son, Jesus. Isn't that a beautiful thing? It is. It really is. One of the most beautiful things that I've ever been a part of, uh, not necessarily preaching and talking, but singing in many languages in a congregation. Uh, I was over in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, where Nathan, our son, served. And uh, once a quarter, they would have a gathering of the many, many churches that were, you know, following Christ, but they would meet in a church. And when they were singing, they would sing in their language. And Amazing Grace in their language, was it was. It was something to hear. And you could honestly un know what they were saying because you were saying mm -hmm. it in your own language. And so that's the God oh, wow. we serve. It's, it's something. Hey, thank you, Cowboy, and pre appreciate your call. And I pray you'll keep listening. Let's go to Tennessee and talk yeah. to Robert. Robert, welcome. Hi guys. Yes, welcome, brother. So, um, my my uh, a little bit of a comment. My church doesn't celebrate communion that much at all. Um, that bothers me. Um, the other question I had that now the question is that um, it says in the Bible when the disciples came together once a week they would celebrate communion. Um, they weren't pastors back then; they were disciples. Um, I'm not going to say that I'm a disciple. Uh, I'm a believer in Christ, of course. But um, if my wife and I were to celebrate communion together, I don't believe we would need a pastor to do that. Is that correct? You are. Alex, uh, praise the Lord for the Lord's Supper in a group or in a, I'd say, a family. Uh, you do show forth the Lord's death till he comes, doesn't it? 
You, you really do. And you know what? One of the key words, uh, and, and I do think it is very, very meaningful and very important to regularly take the elements of communion, the Lord's table. Now, I'm reading in 1 Corinthians 11, 25 and 26, because twice the phrase is repeated, for as often as you drink it, you do this in remembrance of me. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth or proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Now, often, for some churches, Bert, often might be once a quarter or often might be once a month. Um, you know, I was interim pastor at Good Shepherd Church in Greensboro, North Carolina, and the first Sunday of every month they did communion, and it was really special. Bert, we do a thing with our family and with a lot of neighbors. Every Christmas Eve, we have communion. Um, and it's not a church, quote-unquote, but it is 25 or 30 believers in somebody's house every Christmas Eve. Amen. And um, I I think it's this falls under that wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I'm in the midst of them. Is If we're two or three or four are gathered in his name and it's done scripturally, uh, that is the church, isn't it? It is. It sure is. One of the most meaningful things that ever took place uh, we we were celebrating the Lord's Supper at Christmas, and we had shut-ins that could not come. And what our our deacons did right before they they went out to win all the shut-ins, and they celebrated the Lord's Supper with them. And those shut-ins responded as one of the most positive things that we ever had them say that we had done for them. And so, Robert, thank you for your good question and. May you and your wife, uh, may you celebrate and show forth the Lord's death as you share in the Lord's Supper. Let's go to Texas and talk to Carlos. Carlos, welcome. Hey, uh, Pastor. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, I'm just like, got a small question because uh, I like to talk uh, to other people who are not like exactly believers, like uh, how about witnesses? And sometimes they, uh, I think that they have different beliefs, like uh, the Trinity. So the other day I was thinking about this, uh, using Genesis 1.26 to speak about the Trinity with them. And uh, it says, God said, let us make man in our own image, in the likeness of ourselves. So uh, this is a classic uh, citation, but um, I was thinking that when it goes further in Genesis 2.18, He's not gonna speak in in, uh, in the first person. Now he's gonna speak in, in, in I mean, in, in plural. He's gonna speak just in first person singular because it says Genesis two eighteen says, "And the Lord said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a help for him." So how can I explain this? That sometimes uh, the, the Bible speaks about plural and first person plural and in this case it's just first person singular amen yeah thank you carlos mm. great question alex um another let me throw this into uh carlos and to along with that genesis 1 passage when jesus was baptized jesus was there he was himself but it said god for that's who god is the father spoke and the dove descended as a dove you had them individually but also looking at it collectively they were there and so uh, sometimes it is the godhead and it refers to i 
And sometimes it's the God the Father or God the Son or God the Holy Spirit. It's I. But in some of those areas, it's us. And I, Alex, would you take it a little further for Carlos? Well, you know, uh, it's so wonderful how God has revealed himself to the human race. There's one God, Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. There's one God. But there is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, uh, there's Elohim and El Elyon and El Shaddai and Yahweh. Uh, there are a number of Hebrew words, and they... They all talk about God, but they sometimes show forth his different um, attributes. Uh, me, you know, the eternal one, the all-powerful one, uh, the merciful one. You know, El Elyon, the one who ascends and goes up. Uh, Ella means awesome. Uh, Bert, um, it's something we can understand and believe, but it's also more than we can comprehend. But um, I do think, you know, the caller mentioned the Genesis 126 where you've got both a singular and a plural. Why is that? Because there's one God, but within the Godhead, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, and you might have seen, Bert, uh, there's an ancient Christian symbol called a triquetra. It's like a triangle, but with a, a curve on each corner and meaning like, the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father, and the Son is not the Spirit, and yet they're all one. Now, Bert, I don't understand it, but I completely do believe it. Um, one God, one essence or nature, but Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And, uh, you know, we, we've talked about, you know, uh, you know, Elah Yah Israel, the God of Israel, you know, uh, Ella Avati, the God of my fathers. But it's all talking about these Hebrew words that are in the Bible. They're all talking about that one true God, aren't they? They are. And uh, again, it should cause us to worship him even greater when we understand he is so much. He is not man as we are, and we are certainly not God. So thank you, Carlos. Let's but go to... Our, our book does address this. Uh, you okay. want to go to Illinois. Okay, yeah. Illinois is Joan. Joan, welcome. Oh, thank you so much for your service. You've helped so many people. My granddaughter is engaged to a man who believes in Calvinism, and she doesn't really understand it or agree with it. Alex, a few weeks ago, you mentioned there was a book that you said was a good book for describing it, but you didn't give the name of it. Would you do that now, please? Well, God bless you. I want to give you a, a short book and a long book. And by the way, this is kind of an intramural debate. I mean, listen, I, I, I would not consider myself a Calvinist, but I know that there are Calvinists that love Jesus. And so let me just, before I say anything else, make a plea for love and unity within the body of Christ. All of you Calvinists that are Reformed and you... Uh, I love you, and you're my brothers in Christ. And those of us that are non-Calvinists, and there's a lot of Bert, there's a lot of labels like Wesleyan and Arminian. But look, we all love Jesus, and and that should unite us. However, for those that you know, you want to drill down deeply. One of the best by Norm Geisler, G-E-I-S-L-E-R, and he was brilliant. He was a friend. Oh my goodness, he was a close mentor. Norm Geisler wrote a book called Chosen But Free. 
Bird, if I recall, I think it was published by Bethany House, I think. Chosen but Free. That book is is somewhat brief, but there's another book that, I mean, if you want to go in-depth, Dave Hunt wrote a book called What Love Is This? And it, it if you want to, it's a, a whopper. It's probably four to 500 pages. But a, a good starting point, I, I think, would be Geisler's book, Chosen But Free. Bert, do you have any more to add to that? Oh, no, listen, the ones that I've... I've Dr. Geisler's, I know of. Dave Hunt, I know of him. I haven't read that book. But uh, listen, thank you, Joan. Let's go and see if we can get this last call in. And he is Kevin from Arkansas. Kevin, don't have a lot of time. Go right ahead. Okay, I'll be quick. Uh, The name is Zodiites, is how I would pronounce it. Z-O-D-H-I-T. A-T-E-S. Yes. He's a uh, commentator. Uh, I could expound on why I have his uh, type uh, transition, uh, his King James Version. But who is he and what do you know about him? Go ahead, Alex. Yeah, um, and I'm forgive me, I'm probably going to mispronounce his name because I never really did know his name accurately. Spiros Zodihades or something yeah. like that. Um, he, back in the 80s, he put out a study Bible called the, the Hebrew-Greek Study Bible. And Bert, I used to watch him on TV, and he was brilliant. Now, it was deep. But he was a Greek scholar. I think he's in heaven now. I think he's passed on. As far as I know, I thought it was wonderful. In fact, Liberty University used to sell it in the bookstore, and um, that's a pretty good endorsement. But it's like the Thompson Chain Reference Bible or Young's Analytical Concordance. It's a book that takes every single word, Hebrew and Greek, and really, really, really unpacks it. You know what I mean? It does, and I have seen it as well. I did not purchase it, but I knew of him. And uh, what I knew was good. I can't say, oh, boy, I recommend it. But what I've heard has been good, Alex. Hey, is, guess what yeah. tomorrow is? Fire Away. Is it Fire Away Friday? Yeah, it's, we've already had four four days this week of exploring the Word. But tomorrow. We've be, had a good week. We have. We're going to have some more questions at Fire Away Friday. Get those questions ready. Get that phone number set and call us here at Exploring the Word.